freaky friends. My name is Kate, and you are listening to the pilot episode of the Bone Garden podcast. I, okay, first of all, uh, I just want to apologize for my voice. (laughs) I have been battling with my allergies, even though we're in July right now. My allergies have been all over the place. I am very congested. I'm very sniffly, and I'm so sorry for the quality of my voice. I promise you that I don't always sound like this, so please stick around. Don't leave me yet. (laughs) Sorry, that was my air freshener. Um, Wow, we're already a mess, and we're a minute in. So before we get into our first topic, or really anything having to do with the podcast itself... I figure that I would tell you a little bit about me so that that way we can be buddies because hopefully we can be friends. This show isn't just for me. This show is for you too and, and your friends and your mom. Maybe we'll, we'll see about the mom part. So like I said, my name is Kate. I am currently 24. I turn 25 next month, which is awesome. I am so ready to... I don't know, be able to rent a car because I guess that's the next big milestone and then I work until I die. (laughs) I am a Massachusetts native. If you don't know where that is, it's Boston, okay? (laughs) A lot of people, when I tell them where I'm from, they're like, what the, what the fuck is a Massachusetts? It's Boston. The entire state is just Boston as far as you're concerned. If you are from Massachusetts though, hi, this place is awesome. Uh, I know I don't sound too enthusiastic. It's because I had to take Benadryl. (laughs) So the million dollar question is why the hell do I want to do the show? Well, aside from my wealth of useless knowledge about creepy shit, I personally, I've always been so fascinated by serial killers. There's something about looking at these these human monsters and just figuring out where, you know, the parents went wrong. Cause it's, it's not always just the killer's fault. There is a big argument between nurture versus nature that we can get into. But so I, I love the idea of researching the parents, figuring out uh, that home dynamic, figuring out, you know, where the parents failed the, the child, where the adult failed And where society failed, because I've found that it's very easy to look at somebody like, like Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, and just be like, oh, that's, that's totally their fault. You know, it's just a family thing. It it runs in the genes. There are some killers that were raised in a perfectly normal, perfectly healthy home environment, and they still went on to be literal fucking demons. So... Just being able to look at all those different facets, figuring out what went wrong, and honestly, just how we can improve as people. Because as we'll get into in future episodes, there are a lot of serial killers out there and just that had severe mental health issues that were overlooked. And hopefully this show in the cases that we cover will also bring awareness to the completely fucked up judicial... I can I can never say that word judicial system <laughs> because as we'll cover 
there have been so many cases. And honestly, whenever I listen to other true crime podcasts, it just royally pisses me off. So they'll get these killers in custody and they'll basically have them dead to rights. And then they get this bullshit sentence of, I don't know, I think it was John Wayne Gacy got like a three-year sentence and then he was, he actually only served about a year and a half. I'm, I'm not too sure. I personally haven't researched Gacy yet. But anyway, the point is that when we have these examples of, I'm trying to think of another synonym, these detritus dwelling pieces of fuck (laughs) and we can look at them and say okay well this killer did x y and z in their heyday and they got next to nothing for a sentence we should be able to use that as a testament to why we need to reevaluate the judicial system we need to make sure that everybody gets a fair trial including a fair punishment Because honestly, if you're doing the bullshit that Gacy did, you shouldn't be getting just a slap on the wrist. Nobody deserves to get away with what Gacy did. Anyway, I just got really off topic. I'm so sorry. Now, the second part of why I wanted to do this show is that I, and of course, because this show is also going to cover paranormal things too, I've always had this really weird, like, track record with the paranormal I don't want to get too much into it because honestly, it could just be its own episode. Very long story short, I just moved back into my childhood home. Uh, I had an apartment with an ex-boyfriend for about a year, but while we were there, I would experience all sorts of things. I never saw anything at the apartment. It was more or less just a feeling, but I had one experience there and it actually ties into our first topic. So when we were doing our little walkthrough of our apartment with the property manager. It was a second floor apartment and it was gorgeous. The neighborhood was lovely. My neighbors were phenomenal. But so the property manager was showing us around and there was this weird layout with like two doors in the living room and they had these like rolling, like, I don't know the word, hideaway doors where it's, there are these two slidey doors on tracks and they can tuck into the actual wall. But so there was one door on one side of the wall and then there was another door on the other side of the wall. Like they were, they were on the same wall. I don't know if I'm explaining this correctly, but so we were doing our our little walkthrough and my ex-boyfriend at the time looks at the two doors and he's like, this, this doesn't make any sense. Why, why do they have these two doors? And then the property manager told us that the building was originally built in, I think it was 1890, and it was originally built and served as a funeral home for a while, and then it was eventually converted into an apartment building. What was happening in this uh, funeral home turned apartment building (laughs) is back in the day, all of the clerical work had been done on the first floor. Things like signing documents, consultations with families, casket shopping, all that good stuff. The second floor was used to show the bodies. So the two of us kind of figured that the living room was where it was actually displayed, more or less because they had those two doors. So you would, you'd walk in one door, you know, you would view the body, pay respects to the family members, and then you could walk a little bit forward through the living room and take your seat for the service. 
which it makes a lot of sense. And I know that I kind of sound like a crazy person, but we don't judge here. The two of us could not stand the living room. If I ever fell asleep on the sofa watching a movie or even just like walking through the living room, I always had the feeling that there were people watching me. Uh, not person singular, not, not a dog or a cat or a frog. People plural, like an audience. So when we'd moved in and we got unsettled in, we figured, hey, that back portion of the living room where the hideaway doors kind of come out and cut the living room in half, that room is huge. We should just use that as like the main bedroom. So that's what we did. We put the bed in the back portion of the living room and uh, for a while, everything was fine. Again, I never saw anything, but I remember a couple instances where, you know, I was laying in bed. I think I was like reading a book or something and my ex-boyfriend who I'm just going to call my roommate because it's easier. (laughs) So he would come into the room, get ready for bed. And he always made sure that those hideaway doors, that they were completely closed, like, like that they were completely extended. They were meeting in the middle. You couldn't see into the living room. I don't remember if he ever told me why, but I kind of figured that it was because that other half of the living room was totally fucking creepy. But then he'd also mentioned that there was one time that I'd fallen asleep because I was always the one that that passed out cold. Even when I would have sleepovers as a kid and we'd be like, yeah, let's stay up all night. I was (sighs) clunked. I could not stay up. But apparently there was one night that I had fallen asleep and, you know, the room's dark, obviously. He'd mentioned that he thought that he saw something like in the corner of the room which is no, no, thank you. I don't want any of that. But I personally never really had like any freaky experiences in the bedroom. But for me personally, the creme de la creme, the pièce de résistance for the apartment, as far as creepy shit goes, was my office. So this apartment, just for context, was a four bedroom apartment. And we didn't have any kids. We were just like, oh my god, this apartment is so cheap. We're just gonna get this fucking apartment and live here for as long as we can. Um, and then we broke up, so. (laughs) But so, one of the bedrooms, it was on, like, the very far end. It was the farthest bedroom in the entire apartment. When we'd gone for the walkthrough, I fell in love with this room. I didn't know why. There was just something about it that I wanted to be there. He, on the other hand, couldn't stand that room. He told me at one point that he'd heard, like, almost, like, movement. Like, as we were packing uh, to leave the apartment to go our separate ways, he'd mentioned to me that there was one time that he was already at the apartment packing and that he said that he thought that I was already there. Like, we'd we'd talked about plans. Like, I was going to come over after work. We're going to finish, you know, boxing up some stuff. But so he thought that I was already in the apartment and that I was in the office because that's where most of my things were. So he was packing up his stuff and obviously with us moving out, the apartment was almost completely fucking empty. Obviously, when uh, a space is empty, you can hear things a lot easier. And 
he told me that, so he was packing up his stuff and he heard what very distinctly sounded like somebody moving things around in my office. And so apparently he'd called out to what he thought was me, like, oh, hey, I'm back here. I'm just packing. And I didn't answer because I wasn't there. I also remember one other uh, distinct event. I had had a friend over at the apartment. If you're listening to this, Courtney, I fucking love you. I hope you're thriving. We haven't talked in so long. We need to reconnect. But so my friend Courtney was over. So the three of us were in the living room and we were like watching, I think we we're watching Step Brothers, which that movie is amazing. <laughs> we had so much room for activities. But so we're, we're all in the living room and it was the dead of winter. It was fucking cold. We didn't have our gas heat on yet because the property manager didn't come upstairs and uh, turn on the furnace and we were stupid. So we didn't want to touch anything. So we had space heaters going. So we had the TV on, we had like the lights and all that. A point of the matter is we used too much electricity and we blew a fuse because we were idiots. So, (laughs) so Courtney left. She was like, well, there's nothing left for me to do here. I'll see you guys when I see you. So she leaves and it's just the two of us. And we're walking through the apartment trying to figure out, like, if there are any rooms that had electricity. The only two rooms that had electricity were the bathroom and the office. Because those two rooms, they were right across from each other. Like, you could throw a pebble in the bathroom and it would hit, like, the back wall in the office. I was like, hey, you know, I have a spare TV in the office with an old sofa that my great aunt gave me. I was like, let's just go, like, watch a movie in my office until we're tired and then you know we can go stumble through the darkness into uh the bedroom and just go to bed so we go in there and you know we're watching whatever the fuck it was on like hbo and he fell asleep i didn't want to wake him up so i'm pretty sure and i'm so sorry if you're hearing this i'm so sorry that i did this to you when we were first moving in he told me i never want to be in that room overnight like I don't know what he felt there, but he told me, I, sorry, that was my stomach if you heard that, (laughs) um, but no, so he told me, I never want to be in that room overnight. He was like, I feel like there's something wrong in here, and uh, I ended up letting him sleep. I think it was only for a couple hours, like, I went, I laid on my bed, and he'd woken up, and he was like, why did you let me sleep in there, and I was like, eh you're tired. You know, you you need a rest, you know, recuperate. But no, he always swore back and forth. There was something not right with that room. And when I would be sitting in there, just like I am now, I'm, I live in my mom's attic, which I'm literally moving up in the world. (laughs) This house is very haunted. Again, that's a, a story for another time. When I would be sitting in my office, I would get the feeling that something was right behind me. And honestly, I mean, it could just be that I mentioned it. I kind of get that feeling here in the attic as well. My grandfather used to live up here and all sorts of experiences. But yeah, I kind of got the heebie-jeebies in the office by myself, but it was never really anything scary. And then one day I decided, you know what? I'm going to be a little asshole (laughs) and I want to talk to this thing and figure out what it wants. I'd always sworn that I would never use a Ouija board, so I was sensible. I didn't get one. I went to Amazon, and I got dowsing rods, which are these L-shaped copper rods. They were uh, traditionally used for, I think it's called water witching, but so, 
long story short, you would hold one rod in each hand, you'd kind of lower them a little bit, and you'd ask questions, and whatever you were speaking to would do something like either crossing the rods, like, in the middle for yes, swinging the rods outward for no, their dowsing rods are so fucking cool. <laughs> but so I was like, hey, I'm going to try to ask some questions. So I'm sitting there in my pajamas in my office with these like $10 dowsing rods, which, yeah, it was 10 bucks, but the terror was fucking priceless. So I'm sitting there. I start asking questions. I was like, is there anybody here that wants to communicate? And those rods crossed. I was like, okay. Uh, cool, I guess. I don't know how to conversate with you. (laughs) So I asked my first question, which was, did you live on the property? And the rods indicated no. Kind of figured that they just worked there. My second question was, did you die on the property? Because just because you didn't live somewhere, that doesn't mean you didn't die there. And again, the rods pointed to no. And so I'm like, okay, cool. Maybe this place is just significant to you. Um, As we'll cover in future episodes, you don't have to die on a property for you to haunt it. More often than not, if a spirit uh, passes away peacefully, they tend to uh, inhabit the space that they're most comfortable with, that they're most familiar with. Violent deaths, things like murder and uh, suicide, those are different circumstances because those deaths were very traumatic. And more often than not, those spirits have unfinished business. So, again, a topic for a different time. I know we're getting into a lot here. But so, I'd asked it, you know, did you die here? No. And then I'd asked if it worked here. And it did. And then the final thing that I'd said to it was, you know, I love this building. I love being here. And I'm hoping that you and I can be friends. Do you want to be friends with me? which was a fucking mistake because a couple seconds later, you know, I'm staring at these rods and the rods slowly crossed in the middle for yes. And I'm fucking rolling chills right now. Um, So the rods crossed to yes and I felt all of the breath be sucked out of my body. I mean, I'm, I'm fat, so there's not a lot of breath to begin with, but it felt like the rods crossed and the whole room just all of the air was gone. I had never felt that kind of stillness. And then like a second later on the door behind me, all I hear is three knocks. Like somebody is asking to come in. I, when I tell you that my heart dropped out of my asshole, it did. (laughs) It left a dent in the floor. So I'm freaking out. I look at the rods and like, thank you for your time. Uh, please don't contact me in any way other than using these rods. Thank you and good night. Put the rods down. I jumped out of the chair. I grabbed my phone. I called a friend. So that way, if I were going to get murdered, there would be somebody that knew that it happened. Um, and then I grabbed a baseball bat that I just like kept in my office. I uh, unlocked my office door. I go out into the apartment. I check stomach shut the fuck up (laughs) i checked every single room and nobody was there because my ex-boyfriend had been working that day checked every door everything was locked all of my windows were closed there was no fucking way that anybody was in there 
And then, like, jumping forward, like, a couple days, I ended up actually uh, seeing my upstairs neighbor, and I was like, hey, man, I have a really weird question. And I was like, you know, I, I heard some knocking in my apartment. I didn't know if maybe, like, you know, you were coming upstairs and you bumped the door or anything like that. And I knew that it wasn't, like, a bump sound. There's a very distinct difference between this and this. Very fucking distinct. There was no way that he just, like, bumped the the door. But he was like, no, I, I haven't knocked on your door. I'm sure that I, I didn't bump anything because he tries so hard not to bug us. So it wasn't the neighbor, if that's what you're thinking. But anyway, so I ended up calling my roommate that day. And I was like, hey, I'm freaking the fuck out. I need you to come home from work. <laughs> so I go, I pick him up. We walked through the apartment and I was almost in tears. And the thing is, is like, I only ever saw one thing. Again, story for a different time. I'm taking up so much fucking time right now. But I, I never saw anything in the apartment. But standing in that apartment, it felt so busy. Like when you're in like a crowded room, and it, it feels, like, electric. That apartment felt like one of those, like, novelty Tesla balls that you put your fingers on and your hair would stand up. It was crazy. But so we were standing in the living room, and he basically told all the spirits to go fuck off and to leave me alone. Activity died down for a long while, and then we moved out. The long and the short of it is, oh, dear God, I've taken up so much time. I am tired of being afraid of the paranormal and I want to be able to research and explore what goes on after we die. I want to go through all of that creepy dark shit and I want you guys to come with me. That's why I'm here. Ta-da! <laughs> it's always so crazy when I tell these stories because, I mean, oh my god, I, I sound nuts. But whenever I tell these stories, I'm like, oh my god, the, the skeptics are going to eat me alive. And honestly, people can believe whatever they want to believe, whether you acknowledge the existence of spirits or not. Just, okay, I'm going to make a deal with you guys right now. If you've ever had a paranormal experience that was like cuckoo bananas, not like, oh, well, I was laying in bed and I heard a, a bump noise and uh, it was because my dog was humping a stuffed animal. Um, <laughs> that was such a bad example. But if you've ever had a weird paranormal experience, anything crazy like a cryptid, uh, any information on like a true crime story that you want me to cover, let me know. Like, excuse me, cars, I'm recording. <laughs> but now if you have any listener stories or suggestions, send me an email because I, oh my god, the fucking air, can you stop? There's so much noise in here. <laughs> send me an email and I promise you I will read every single email that you guys send me and I will absolutely do like a listener submission uh, episode and we will cover your shit because I love hearing about other people's experiences. So <laughs> anyway, with a, what's the word looking for? Absolute fucking shit show of an introduction aside. We are going to get into our first topic, Ouija boards.
So people have been trying to talk to their deceased friends and family members for a very, very long time. One of the oldest recorded communications that I could find dated back as early as 1100 AD in China, and they'd used a method called spirit writing. So spiritualism didn't really become super popular in the United States until around the 19th century, and that was more or less because the United States was basically just this realm of of fucked upness. Healthcare was almost non-existent, and the life expectancy was usually around 50 years. You had everything ranging from women dying in childbirth to uh, men perishing in wars, children dying of things as simple as the flu. So people were not doing great back in that time. People were attempting to talk to the dead using things like knocking on walls, where they would basically go into a room and they would list off letters of the alphabet, like knock for A, for B, for C. And the spirit would knock on the wall in correspondence to a certain letter. They would host seances. And then other forms of divination, which we can definitely get into because because things like uh, divination are so fucking fascinating. So if you guys are interested, we can definitely cover that eventually. But so in 1890, there was a man named Elijah Bond. And he came up with a method for talking to the dead that was called a talking board. If you live under a rock, a Ouija board or a talking board, it's a square board that's usually made out of cardboard, but sometimes they're made out of wood. And it has the word yes in the upper left corner, the word no in the upper right corner, and then the word goodbye is usually written along the bottom. And then you have the letters of the alphabet and then numbers zero through nine underneath. Each talking board came with a planchette, which was like a teardrop-shaped or like heart-shaped piece of plastic or wood, and it had the circular cutout in the middle. And the idea was that, you know, you'd ask a question and the spirit would manipulate the planchette and that circular cutout would reveal the letter or the number that they were trying to spell out for their answer. So there was one night in 1890 when Elijah was using a talking board with his sister-in-law named Helen, and it was thought that Helen was some kind of a medium or like a paranormal sensitive. And Helen, being an absolute bad bitch, she asked the board what they should call it, and the planchette ended up spelling out the word Ouija, which is O-U-I-J-A. I did a little bit of research, and the word Ouija is actually an ancient Egyptian word that means good luck, which that is... So ironic because this board is not good. So from then on, the board was marketed and known as the Ouija board. Now, Bond ended up going into a partnership with a few other entrepreneurs, and their names were William Fold, Charles Kennard, and Colonel Washington Bowie, which I fucking love that name. So the men go into business together, and they see the talking board slash Ouija board as a total fucking cash cow. And while boards like the talking board existed for ages, Bond and his partners patented their concept for the board, and that patent was official in February of 1891. So technically, Elijah Bond was the inventor of the Ouija board, but there were other methods back in the day that looked a lot like it. So, shortly after their patent got approved, advertisements for the board began circulating in 1891, and these advertisements would say that the board was, quote, a link between the known and unknown, the material and immaterial. The board at the time was advertised for $1.50, which sounds like nothing, but inflation exists, 
And $1.50 back then equated to just about $30 nowadays. So the big question is, how did the Ouija board end up in the hands of Hasbro? If you don't know what Hasbro is, like if you don't live in the United States, it is a massive toy and board game company here. So eventually Bond, Kennard, and Bowie, uh, they decided that they were calling it quits. So they didn't want anything else to do with the board. You know, they're they're tired, they're you know getting older. So Fold ended up being the sole owner of the patent, and in turn, he was the owner of the Ouija board. Fold would actually go on to claim that he was the inventor of the Ouija board, but technically, that's a load of dog shit, because technically, Elijah Bond invented it. But regardless, Fold was just this greedy little asshole, and he ended up pushing forward to get the exclusive rights to make the Ouija board. He would even go so far as to sue other companies that attempted to rip off the board, which is understandable. It's a smart business move, but you know you don't have to be a dick about it. Fold would end up keeping the patent all to himself until he died in 1927. It's interesting uh, how Fold actually died. Um, he fell off a roof. That's simple. He fell off the roof of a new factory that he was getting built in order to manufacture more Ouija boards. And apparently, the board told him to build this factory. So, that's fucked. <laughs> but uh, eventually, Fold's assets were sold to the Parker Brothers in 1966, uh, which is another, like, toy and game company from back in the day. In 1967, the Parker brothers ended up selling 2 million Ouija boards just one year. That's absolutely insane. Later down the line, in 1991, the Parker brothers ended up selling the rights to the board to Hasbro. From there, really, the board just kept getting more and more popular. And to this day, it's one of the most popular games because people just have morbid curiosities. And as far as most folks are concerned, Ouija boards are harmless but that isn't always the case as we're going to get into. A lot of skeptics believe that the board is really just an oversold hoax and it just capitalizes on mourning families and friends and that it actually uses pseudoscience to convince participants that a spirit's talking to them. A good example of this uh, pseudoscience is something called the idiomotor effect. So the idiomotor effect theorizes that people have these itty bitty microscopic movements in their body and that people will subconsciously do things. Good example here at the board is that they believed that players would subconsciously move the planchette to spell out answers uh, that they believed to be true or that just were true in general. On the other end of the spectrum, people that believe that the board is real and that actually does things believe that the board opens portals that allows, oh, I don't like to use a D word, um, inhuman spirits to enter the lives of unknowing people. Some people claim to have experienced paranormal events in their homes after using a board, and other people even go so far as to report violent attacks and even possessions after using one. So that is the absolutely bonkers history of the Ouija board. And now we're going to actually get into how to set up for a session, as well as what you should do and what you shouldn't do, because there are obviously rules and you have to stay safe. And I just want to preface this next bit by saying just because we're covering this does not mean that I'm giving you the green light to go ahead and buy a Ouija board. Like I said in my little intro, 
I believe that boards are awful, (laughs) simply put, and I promised myself I would never use one. I think they are the worst fucking idea. If you don't know how to use a board, you are basically opening a door and leaving it open. But if that sounds like it's your cup of tea, we're going to get into how to set up for a session. So strap in and here we go. So the first thing that you should do when you're preparing to have a Ouija session is you want to find a place to do it that's actually safe. A lot of people just have these sessions in their homes because it's convenient. But as far as I'm concerned, if it's where you lay your head, don't fuck with the dead. Like, you don't you don't want to do this in your house, man. Like, you're, don't do it. Go to, like, a hotel if you're going to do it. Some people go to cemeteries, which is just very disrespectful. But basically, don't do it in your house because these things are just going to inhabit and make it not nice. So the very first thing that you're going to do is you're going to cleanse the room that you're hosting your session in. Um, If you're doing it outside, you know, you still want to kind of follow these steps. I do want to clarify that there's a difference between cleansing and smudging and Honestly, shout out to the New Witches podcast. They have very quickly become one of my favorite shows to listen to. If you guys do happen to hear this, Maria and Laura, I am obsessed with you two. Um, They have an episode called, I think it's called Ethical Witchcraft, Smoke Cleansing versus Smudging. It's episode 24 if you want to listen to it. But basically, smudging is a very sacred ritual. And uh, a lot of people, when they're doing a cleansing, their first thought is either white sage or Palo Santo wood. And as far as cultural appropriation goes, unless it's your heritage, you should not be touching those materials. Palo Santo and white sage are used for very, very special ceremonies. And they're both gradually becoming endangered because they're being over-harvested Because people in the Western world are like, oh my god, like, I want to go get some white sage and wear a a flower crown and and do all this other stuff. It is incredibly disrespectful for you to go out and buy white sage. A lot of places like Walmart, they're actually just selling it willy-nilly. Please be respectful of other people's cultures. If it is not your culture, please don't buy it. Please don't use it. You need very special permission. For instance... If I, a white woman, wanted to use white sage for a a smudging ritual, I would need to be gifted that knowledge by an indigenous person. Even if I'm like, I don't need it because I have the internet and it can just tell me what to do. That is not the point. It is an incredibly sacred thing to do. So you, if it is not your culture, you need to be gifted that knowledge. You need to be gifted the right to be able to do those ceremonies. When you're cleansing a room, you can use uh, other alternatives. You can use things like wild or common sage. Those are fine. Uh, It's just white sage. Don't touch it if it's not your culture. Okay, cool. So common sage, the nice thing about it is you can actually grow it yourself. It will survive most climates. But so you're going to use common sage or also called wild sage. And you can also use rosemary, which rosemary smells amazing. 
I am obsessed with how it smells. So you can burn either of those things. If you are asthmatic um, or if you're just allergic to smoke, you can use things like singing bowls or snapping your fingers. The idea of uh, a sound cleansing um, is that it brings up the vibrational frequencies in the room and it kicks out negative energy because you just want a nice, peaceful, neutral space for you to conduct your session. So after you've cleansed the room, you're going to set up your board and your board should be placed on a solid surface like a table or the floor. And then you're going to grab some white candles. You can use really any white candle, uh, things like pillar candles, tea light candles, Yankee candles, really whatever you have. You're going to put them around the board and you're going to light them. Now, as far as participants go, you should have at least three people from from what I've researched. You're going to have the speaker, who's the person asking the questions. You're going to have the scribe, which is the person that writes down the answers. And you're going to have one other person that's going to be at the board. All your participants are going to sit at the table and you're going to put two fingers on the planchette. If you're the scribe, you don't have to do this. You're more or less just there to observe. And you're going to slide the planchette in a circle three times before moving it back to the middle of the board. The speaker is then going to ask, are there any spirits present that are willing to communicate with us? A response may take a few seconds or minutes, but if there's a willing spirit there that wants to chat, the planchette's going to move to yes. From there, uh, you can ask really whatever questions you'd like within reason. And then once you're finished with the session, you're going to thank the spirit for its time and then you can move the planchette to goodbye. And when I say thank the spirit, it's not like, oh yeah, thanks, we'll see you later. Thank you, Mr. or Miss or uh, non-binary spirit for taking the time out of your busy day. I know that I'm a little shitbag mortal and I'm totally uh, interrupting your ghostly crossword or whatever you're doing, but thank you for your time. Thank you for your transparency, pun intended. Please only contact us with this board. Have a wonderful night. I wouldn't know how to end a conversation. I would probably just do like finger guns. Um, so after you thank them, it's going to go to goodbye. And if you need to, you can absolutely end the session early. Like if you're getting bad vibes, if it seems like, you know, the spirit is not, not what it says it is. Alternatively, the spirit can end the session early too by moving it to goodbye. Don't push the spirit. Don't be an asshole. You know, if it doesn't want to be there, it doesn't want to be there. If it ends the session early, like if it stops uh, responding, then you can also move the planchette to goodbye. But respect his wishes. We're all about consent here. If a ghostie doesn't want to talk anymore, that's okay. As far as rules go, the biggest number one fucking rule is that you never, ever, ever play by yourself. In all of my research, in all of my time being so engrossed in uh, the paranormal world, if you do something alone, you are opening yourself up to an attack. Especially with the Ouija board, you are opening a door that you have no idea what's on the other side. Don't play alone. If you find yourself in front of a Ouija board and you're all by yourself, you're going to stop and drop and reevaluate and then get the fuck out of there. You should not be at a Ouija board alone. There have been so many cases that I've read about, about people that are like, I don't need friends. I'm going to do this by myself. And then it does not end well for them. So do not play alone. If you don't have friends to play with, I'm sorry, uh, but I don't care. I mean, I obviously do about your well-being, but as far as a Ouija board goes, if you don't have friends to play with, 
go to Facebook, find some buddies to play with. If you can't do that, you're shit out of luck. I don't know what to tell you, but don't play by yourself. Seriously, it's very fucking dangerous. The next rule that you're going to follow is no matter what happens, do not take your hands off the planchette. Taking your hands off can actually release the entity that you're talking to. Um, Again, if you're getting a weird vibe, end the session and then take your hands off. As far as questions go and uh, just basic Ouija etiquette, never ask when you're going to die. You know, don't ask a question that you don't want the answer to. You're also never going to mention things like God, Jesus, the Holy Trinity, any religious figures, because if you're talking to something that's inhuman, you're going to piss it off and you don't want to piss off something that you can't see and that you don't understand. The other thing, again, common sense, don't ask the spirit if it's evil or if it wants to hurt you, because if it is a bad guy, you know, it's going to be like, oh, you think that I'm evil and that I want to hurt you? Well, let's find out how far I can go. So... Again, don't ask a question you don't want the answer to. And that also moves into our next rule. Be polite. It's a ghost. It's it's taking time out of its busy day. It's taking so much energy to manifest enough to talk to you. So be polite and be respectful. And also, uh, next point, don't mock it. It's not cool. Even just in general, you want to talk to this spirit like it's your grandma. Or if your grandma was a bitch, talk to it like it's a friendly mailman. Don't be an asshole. Just don't do it. Don't do it to to living things. Don't do it to dead things. Just be nice. I don't get why that's so hard for people to understand. Now, the last rule, like I mentioned, always close the session. You're going to thank the spirit and move the planchette to goodbye. So those are the simple rules. You know, they're they're the golden rules of, of ghosty stuff. Uh, I honestly think that they're just the golden rules that you should follow in general. If someone makes you uncomfortable, goodbye. (laughs) Thank you for your time, but goodbye. I'm not having it. Uh, On to the next one. (laughs) So now that we've covered how to actually set up for a session, as well as basic Ouija etiquette, we are going to get into some Reddit stories that I found. And these are fucking wild. So we are going to jump right into our first Reddit story. So the first Reddit story that we're going to go over was actually submitted to a thread on Reddit, and it was submitted by somebody named, I think it's Krina7 or Krini7, and they wrote, I actually have a story that I've never really fully told anybody. My mom began dabbling in the occult. She was always looking for more out of life, like she felt like there was more to it and that she wanted answers. Being only 13 at the time, of course I was on board. But one day, we decided to buy a Ouija board. I don't even know why we decided to, I just remember us both being in agreement on it. My mom researched everything that she could about it, including all of the safety precautions according to her new Wiccan books. Mom cleansed the house and the board the first night, lit candles, meditated on her questions, the whole nine yards. It was your typical Ouija board session. We asked questions and got some answers. Over time, Mom and I became obsessed. 
we used the board regularly. We asked as many questions as we could come up with, and eventually the answers didn't make sense anymore. Sometimes it would just babble, spelling out words that we couldn't understand. The house started to become darker. Not darker as in lighting, darker as in feeling, and my friends noticed it too when they would visit. I was washing dishes one day by hand. My mom had always had us do it that way. So I had the dishes stacked on the towel as I always had, with the cups first lined perfectly in a row upside down, which I'm really OCD about. It was time to start on the plates, so I turned around to grab the stack, and when I turned back around, the glasses were face up and scattered all over the towel. My best friend was watching TV in the living room just a few feet from the kitchen, and I asked her if she did it. She asked, did what? so nonchalantly that it was like she hadn't even noticed. When I pointed out the mess on the towel to her, she was just as surprised as I was. The next incident that I remember was when I was going to bed. I've always been afraid of the dark, but this feeling in the house made it worse. When I'd pull the light string on the ceiling light really fast, I would run to the bed, jump in, and quickly pull the covers over my head. My mom wouldn't let me have a lamp in my room because she wanted me to overcome my fear. But a few minutes later, I heard the click again and I would see the light through the covers. I lifted the covers to find that I was still alone. The final straw was when a friend of mine was sleeping over. I asked her to stay with me because the house was freaking me out. We were experiencing weird sounds and smells, strange happenings, and I could swear that somebody was watching me sleep. I can't even remember what scared us so bad or even what transpired before that. I can't remember anything that we had done just while hanging out that night. But I remember that we were terrified and we both ended up running into the bathroom and we locked the door behind us. Something was banging on my bathroom door at us for what felt like an hour. Suddenly it stopped. Almost as soon as it stopped, I heard the front door open and shut. My dad had finally come home from the store, but my friend and I were still screaming and crying. We couldn't stop. I never felt fear quite like that before or since. He begged us to open the door, but for some reason, we didn't trust him enough to open it, so he ended up breaking it down. My dad had enough when he found us like that. He took the board and ended up burning it. It didn't solve the problem, and we had to have the house and property blessed. However, I still get chills every time I pass the old property. You can't even tell that we had ever lived there. The owner of the house next door bought the property and fixed it up beautifully, but when I see it, call me crazy, I could swear that it's staring at me like it's waiting for me. The next Reddit story that I have for you guys is called Why I Will Never Use a Ouija Board Again, and this was submitted to Reddit by user SaltyChips2019. The following is a true story. It happened to me when I was in the seventh grade. Whether you choose to believe me or not, it's completely up to you. As of right now, I'm a junior in high school and my typing skills and grammar are probably not the best, so please bear with me. So it was the summer of my seventh grade year, so I guess that you could say that I was in the eighth grade. I went to a small private school during middle school. The school was so small that it probably had about 80 kids at most, ranging from kindergarten all the way to seniors in high school. In my middle school class, it was me and five other boys as well as two girls. All of the guys were in my grade at the time, and since there was almost nobody at school, we always had the same classmates and I made some really good friends. Two of them, in fact, I still talk to and consider them my family. But I won't bore you with the minute details. I was at my friend's house and the two guys that I mentioned were fraternal twins, so it was the same house. We would have sleepovers a couple times a month on weekends during school, but it was the summer so I basically spent my summer at their house. 
We have all always been huge horror fans. We love horror movies, playing scary games, telling scary stories, and all of that good stuff. I decided to bring over a Ouija board that I borrowed from a different friend for the night. It was a typical night staying there, but I did hide the fact that I brought the board over because their parents were religious, even though they were young and pretty chill with most things that we did. So, we just hung out, we played basketball, Skyrim, and Call of Duty, and then we ate and watched a movie. We were going to end the night by using the board. We planned on going all out. We were in their slightly finished basement, which was pitch black because there were no windows. So I brought the Ouija board out and we googled the big rules for using it. So after all agreeing to follow the rules no matter what, we were about to start. The rules that we went by were the following. Use only candlelight for better effect. Do not take your fingers off the planchette. Say goodbye after we're done. And if it's a demon, we say goodbye immediately and burn the board. I honestly didn't expect anything to happen despite the effort. But then we started. Candles were lit. The room was dark and our underwear was full. <laughs> we started off with the super cliche question, is anybody there? Being the douchebag that I was, I tried to move it myself to scare my friends, but they saw right through it. I laughed and we carried on. We all asked at the same time, is anybody there? And nothing happened. We were starting to get discouraged, so we said goodbye and waited until exactly midnight to try to get a better effect. We watched a movie to pass the time, and at exactly 11.59, we went back to the Ouija board to ask the same question again. This time, we actually got an answer as the planchette glided to the word yes, and all three of us were accusing each other of moving it. We all looked at each other with serious faces and swore on our lives that we were not moving it. So we asked a question to the board that only the spirit would have known. We asked when the house was built, and it spelled out 1956. So my friends had no idea when the house was built, and they googled it on a house-finding website, kind of like Zillow. We looked and confirmed that the house was, in fact, built in 1956. We all still had our hands on the planchette as to follow the rules. We were all kinds of freaking out, but also kind of excited that it really worked. We asked them if they died in the house, and it shifted to yes, and we were all shitting bricks at this point. So then they were curious, and we asked, where exactly? And it spelled out the word, basement. We immediately looked at each other, and we were seriously about to scream and quit the game, but I said that we can say goodbye and quit any time we want to, so we gathered our wits and tried to calm down. We then asked, where are you right now? And the planchette didn't move for a couple seconds, but then it spelled out the word, walls. Using our knowledge of horror movies and games, we assumed that the spirit meant that they were murdered here and stuffed in the walls, so I got scared and asked, do you want to hurt us? The planchette shot over to yes so fast that our fingers couldn't keep up with it. We screamed and at the same time, the candles all spilled over onto the blanket next to us and it caught up in fire. We were all screaming and my friend grabbed a couple bottles of water and spilled them on the fire and it died down. We all stood still for a bit and were so scared, I can hardly describe the level of fear that I had that day. I felt the blood drain from my head and I felt cold and lightheaded. We didn't say goodbye after that. Instead, we started the fireplace at their house and doused the Ouija board in lighter fluid and then tossed it into the fire. Nothing really happened after that and all was good for literally years until this last weekend. I still stay the night over there on occasion because they're my best friends even now. I was over there and we were messing around in the basement and I found the planchette behind an old iron heater in the corner of the room. I grabbed the planchette and showed it to them and I brought up the experience that happened a couple years before and then I asked them if we should burn it. They said that we probably should because we were firm believers at that point. When I went to bring it upstairs so we could start the fireplace, I accidentally dropped it on the floor. 
You know how some planchettes are shaped like a triangle? This one was almost shaped like an arrowhead, and it seemed like it was pointing to the wall, and I felt like I was getting some sort of PTSD from what happened before, and since it was just me and one of the twins in the basement, he looked at me and I looked at him. I said, dude, behind you, oh my god, just to try to scare him, and when he turned around, I yelled, and I grabbed him, and he screamed and pushed me into the wall, even though I was only trying to scare him as a joke. I landed into the wall, and I put a hole in it. The second twin was worried and came running down, and when he saw the hole in the wall, we all started laughing. I looked at him, and I said, I bet you won't put your hand in the hole, and he said, well, you're fucking right, I won't, and chuckled. I told them that I would do it, but it was only so that I could scare them again. I stuck my hand inside the cold hole, and I noticed that there was actually a fair amount of space inside. I was just about to act like something grabbed me and scream when I felt something hard and sharp. I was confused, so I grabbed something and I brought out a tooth and screamed, hell no, and all of my friends freaked out and we ran upstairs. We told their parents everything that happened even from years before, and at first their dad did not believe us, so we had him look in the hole, and in there was a flat surface, and on top of it rested some kind of shiny, waxy-looking substance, along with various bones, including some teeth. After their parents talked about what to do, they decided to ask about the previous owners and do some research that might explain what the hell all of that was. As cliche as this is going to sound, in 1959, a man was killed by his wife because he cheated on her with somebody else he met, and in anger, she stabbed him to death when he was fixing a broken floorboard and then stuffed his body into the walls to hide the evidence. The police searched the house after she reported him missing, and she became the number one suspect as they noticed a horrid and putrid stench from the basement, and after discovering the mostly decomposed body of her husband, they apprehended her and she was sentenced to 60 years in prison. Now I know that none of that explains why there was what we later discovered to be candle wax as well as assorted bones from animals in the wall, but that is all the history that we found out about the house. This was my experience and why I will never, ever, 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 ever use a Ouija board again. Thank you so much for reading this, and I'm so sorry that this story was really long and probably riddled with grammatical errors. Like I said at the beginning, everything that I told you was the pure truth. I know that people are probably going to doubt that, but I really don't care. So it looks like we do have time for one final Reddit story. Now, the reason that I saved this story for last is because it does get very graphic. So I just wanted to give you guys a massive trigger warning. If you're easily upset by mentions of self-harm, I totally recommend that you skip this story. You can cut to the end of the episode. You can leave this one here. If you do want to keep listening and that does kind of tow like a fine line for you, I will absolutely give you guys a heads up. I don't want to upset anybody. I don't want to trigger you. And if the thought of hearing uh, mentions of self-harm and graphic descriptions is like an absolute hard stop for you and you just want to leave this episode here, I totally understand and I genuinely appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your day to listen to me. But for those of you that are going to stick around, we're going to get into our third and final Reddit story. And this one is called, Are You Afraid of Me? And this was submitted by Reddit user Pandamorous. For months, I've debated whether or not to post here. For whatever reason, today I decided to just do it. 
When I was about 12, I had a friend more important to me than anyone had been or would be. There was something strong between us, something that I never thought would be broken. What started this bond was anything and everything paranormal. During those round-the-class introductions, I've mentioned that I loved reading books about hauntings. I was enticed by the idea of life after death, and to this day, I remain so. In our first year of high school, two years later, we began watching shows like Crossing Over with John Edwards, Ghost Hunters, and Weird Travels. It was like a bad drug, and we loved every minute of it, right down to sneaking off and breaking into a haunted cemetery near her house. Things were great, and I wouldn't trade any of it, except for one thing. As knowledgeable as we thought ourselves to be, we were still only 13 and 14. Of course, something stupid was bound to happen. I think I knew then, but now I'm sure to stand by it. When you're dealing with the supernatural and paranormal, you never use a Ouija board. There are some things that are not meant to be used, and I feel like this is one of them. But I digress. We found the Ouija board at a flea market near downtown. Beth, we'll call her, was overly excited, and so was I. But something in my gut told me that we probably should have left it behind. We ended up using it a few times a week. It was custom to spend the weekend at either my house or hers. Slowly, things got not okay. Technically, she'd bought it, so she kept it with her at her house. I don't know how often she used it, but I can tell you with complete certainty that I know that she did. Beth became really different very quickly. Her temper grew short, she didn't take kindly to any sort of joking, and she turned all around rotten. Between middle school and high school, we had fallen into the goth scene. Baggy pants, fishnets, studded gloves, but she started losing interest in her appearance altogether. She had stopped bathing, she wasn't brushing her hair or her teeth. Her parents were laid back, and I'm sure that they thought that it was just a phase, but I knew her, and I knew that something was wrong. I had let her use the board alone for several weekends. That feeling in my gut was next to unbearable. I hated being in the same house as the board, let alone the same room. Something seemed to follow it everywhere. I would learn soon that something was, more correctly, following Beth everywhere. Still, our sleepovers continued. Regardless of how much of a time bomb she'd become, she never distanced herself from me. It was one of our weekends when it happened. Our parents, who had been friends just as long as we had, went out for a couple's night to some sort of a hall for fish and chips and dancing. We were at her house alone. I was watching television on the couch, and she was sitting in front of the coffee table on the floor with the board. Do you want to do something? I remember asking her. She didn't respond. I asked again. This time I asked if she wanted to play PlayStation or N64. Again, she didn't respond. She just sat there with her hands on the planchette, sliding it around slowly. I didn't even try to catch what it said, but she seemed really focused. After a few more minutes of sitting in silence, she finally asked, Do you want to try? I told her no, and the silence returned. It was starting to drive me crazy. Something in the room was making me sick, whether it was the way that she smelled or the board, I'm still not quite sure. But I finally stood up and I told her that I was going to go take a shower and get ready for bed. She didn't say anything, so I left. I couldn't tell you how long I was in the shower, but if I showered then how I shower now, maybe 30 minutes to an hour. I was feeling clean and new, but even worse than when I stepped in. I stuffed my dirty clothes into a plastic bag and then put them into Beth's bedroom. I went downstairs and I walked down the hallway and saw her standing on top of the coffee table in front of the TV, which was now staticky and snowy. I had the worst feeling of dread, and I felt myself shaking. That kind of shaking you get after you vomit, except I hadn't gotten sick yet. 
She was standing there, staring at the ceiling, with her elbows in and her palms up. Somehow, I willed myself to move and speak. I called out to her and had barely taken a step. I don't know if she was just very fast or if I wasn't paying attention, but in what felt like an instant, all at once, she was off the table and down the hallway. Her hands were out and dragging against the walls with her back hunched. I remember not being able to breathe and being terrified. And I remember that she was so close that her noses almost touched. I could smell her breath and it smelled rotten. She just stood there in front of me with a grin on her face, a grin like the Cheshire cat. Her eyes, which were usually a bright hazel brown, were black. We stood there for a long time, me still shaking and speechless, and her still grinning at me. Finally, she broke the silence. She tilted her head slowly, and I can still remember the sound of each vertebrae cracking as she did it. She said only one thing at first, and her voice was so distorted. It was her, but it was also somebody else. I don't know how to explain it. Now, I do just want to really quickly reiterate the trigger warning from earlier, because this next part does get graphic. So, if you're easily upset by mentions of self-harm, I would skip ahead probably about 30 seconds, okay? Hi, she said. She tilted her head again the other way. Are you afraid of the little tiny board? Are you afraid of me? I can't remember if I answered it, but I remember that I just started crying and crying, just sobbing and being unable to move. Look at me, she said. I'm bleeding. I'm bleeding for him. And she was. I don't know how I didn't see it before then, but her inner arms had been cut from the wrist to the elbow, and her arms and hands were just covered in blood, and so was the floor, and so were the walls where she dragged her hands. I remember laughing. Her laughing, it laughing. They never frowned, they never cried out in pain. They just kept grinning that fucking grin. I knew then that Beth was gone, and that she'd been gone for months, and that I'd done nothing with all the knowledge that I thought that I'd had. I didn't do anything to help her. Finally, the laughing stopped and she got closer, too close. I wanted to get away so desperately that I just fell over. Beth got wide-eyed, deer in the headlights eyed. To this day, I will never forget the last thing that I'd heard from her. Oldest goes first, youngest is next, you're next, you're next, you're next, you're next. It taunted and taunted and finally Beth fell over. She wasn't moving, and I didn't know if she was breathing, but I was not going near her. I ran up the stairs and into her parents' bedroom. I locked the door and I took the phone off the receiver. I called the police, and I don't really remember what I told them, but I sat there in the corner of the room for what felt like hours. I was waiting for help, waiting for Beth to come in and tell me that I needed to learn how to take a joke, waiting for whatever it was to make me next. Help came, and nothing else did. In the end, they said that Beth had killed herself. A few months afterwards, her parents moved away, and I hadn't heard from them since. I told my parents what happened, or tried to, and they thought that I was suffering from some kind of post-traumatic stress. I was going to therapy until the summer after my senior year. It's been a few years since Beth and everything that happened, and even now, I still don't know if I completely believe any of it myself. It seems surreal, and it seems like something out of a movie. I don't expect people to believe me, but it feels good to just say it. I have lots of trouble sleeping still. There are nights when I'm so paralyzed by my fear of the dark that I won't leave my room. My room is the door at the end of a hallway, and I've never had so much anxiety moving down a hall as I do here. I always expect, one night, to see something grinning at me at the end of the hall. 
I always fear getting out of the shower and seeing something that does not belong standing in my living room. I've had to live with this crippling fear for years now. I don't think that it will ever go away. I can only wonder if maybe staying away from the board saved my life at the cost of hers. It makes me wonder why I'm still here. I've decided for myself that it's my job to help people like me and people like Beth. I've dedicated part of myself to learning about the paranormal since I was young, and I continue to do so. Whether it's driven by the loss of my grandfather at an early age, or just because of the universal fear of the unknown, I know what I saw, and I know what happened. I want to make sure that if it happens again, I can be ready. Next time, I'm going to save somebody who doesn't deserve to die. I don't know about you guys, but if I didn't want to touch a Ouija board before, I definitely don't even want to think about touching one now. Honestly, I've read that story a couple times, but every time that I read it, I get full body chills. I couldn't imagine going through anything like this as a teenager, uh, mostly because when I was a teenager, my biggest concern was if I was going to get, like, the right Pokemon card out of, like, the little foil packet that you buy at Walmart. I couldn't imagine going through anything that any of these people went through, and as much as the optimist in me wants to be able to say, yeah, it's a learning experience, you know, we can learn from other people's mistakes, not with these circumstances, that I would not wish that on anybody. But regardless, we got through our first episode. <laughs> I, trust me, I am a lot more excited than I sound. I've been taking some breaks throughout the day because whenever I'm recording up here, I have to shut off my entire air conditioner because the microphone picks it up just like the cars that pass in the street. So I have been sweating buckets all day, <laughs> but we got through it and I am so excited. I'm going to get this edited as fast as possible and get it put out for you. And really, I cannot overstate how fucking pumped I am to finally be doing this show for you guys and with you guys. This show has been literally years in the making, and the fact that I finally have a pilot, and I finally have everything all together, I'm just, I'm so happy. I don't know if you can hear it, but it's just, it's so funny, um, because when I originally decided that I wanted to do a podcast, I was like, it doesn't seem like that much work. You know, you, you do some research, and you just record. You put a mic in front of your face. It's literally like doing a book report or a research paper every fucking week. So if you have a favorite podcast, definitely go give them some love because this is a lot harder than it seems. <laughs> Even things as simple as editing. I don't know anything about audio editing. I, I use Audacity and everything is very cut and dry and to the point, but... It's all a learning process, so I really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to me here. I uh, really appreciate your understanding if I don't sound super great because I've been fighting allergies all day, but I so look forward to the future of this podcast. I have an amazing feeling about it, so hopefully you guys enjoy it as much as I do. If you have a recommendation for a future topic, if you have any personal, like, paranormal stories or anything creepy like that, please feel free to email me because the podcast does have an email. That email is thebonegardenpodcast at gmail.com. No spaces. <clears throat> oh, I just lost my voice. No spaces, no fancy letters, just 
thebonegardenpodcast at gmail.com. And I also really quickly just wanted to give a very special shout out and a ginormous thank you to my dear friend Pippin, um, who runs the Twitter uh, Twitter page. I don't know what it's called, um, but they are uh, at Archer Kasai on Twitter and they uh, do art commissions and they did the cover for my podcast and I am so obsessed with it. So please, if you need any art done, please pop on over, you know, let them know that I sent you because they are literally an art wizard and I I adore them so much. Fucking air freshener. <laughs> but anyway, you guys, thank you tremendously from the bottom of my fucking soul again for taking the time to listen to me here. I love you all. You're all beautiful, wonderful humans. Please stay safe, be kind to each other, and remember to stay the fuck away from Ouija boards. Take care, you guys. Bye-bye.